In the digital reality, evolution over revolution prevails. The QA approaches and techniques that worked yesterday will fail you tomorrow. So free your mind. The automation cyborg has been sent back in time. TED speaker Jonathan Wright's mission is to help you save the future from bad software. Hey, and welcome to this very special edition with not one, but two guests. My good friend, Wayne Ariola, as well as Tom Price from Curiosity Software. So, welcome, Wayne, all the way from LA. Hey, guys, Tom, Jonathan, I'm so happy to be here. And, well, hey, by the way, Tom, great move from Oxford to Cambridge. Moving up to the big city. I think that's Whoa. a huge move. Well, let's not lay in too much to Oxford. <laughs> so I think that kind of gives us a great context of how we all met, right? I've just finished the series of How I Met Your Mother. So let's talk about how we met each other. So, Wayne, do you recall, was it Vegas or was it L.A. that we first met? I, it was either Vegas, but I, I let me uh, throw in another location. It might have been Orlando. I mean, I hate to say it. If you look at the United States, there's two armpits. There's Las Vegas and there's Orlando. <laughs> it was one of the two. It's sweltering hot. A lot of analogies associated with armpits uh, with Orlando and Las Vegas. But the one uh, commonality among the two is obviously those are the hubs for talking about uh, software, the evolution of DevOps and software quality as well. So we'll bring it back into more of a professional context there. But certainly, and that was ages ago. It seems like ages ago. It, was, uh, it seems like uh, so long ago when we were, uh, by the way, still solving the same problems. Absolutely. And the thing was, it, yeah, it probably was five, eight years ago. There was a whole stack of, the, I think Alex was there and we had Hugh Price was there. And they were all people who'd created software tools for one purpose, to help testers, right? And we, But we had this challenge back then and we were all you know, brainstorming, thinking, how do we move the needle, right? And, yep. and I think that kind of also kind of links into kind of the work that I've done with you, Tom, and kind of all the work that at your career of how you've kind of started an Oxbridge kind of startup and evolved your thinking around what it means to, to test. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, so just to expand a little bit of what you were getting out there, Jonathan, so for people who you know don't know so much my background i started up about five years six years ago in oxford with a company called grid tools set up by the managing director of curiosity that's hugh price there i mean we were very much focused on test data and on test creation and in both instances taking model-based approaches but there's been i mean there's been seismic shifts even in the five years that i've been doing it right so first automation and the shift in the skills that um, were required for that and also the added processes that introduced and what we were trying to automate and the type of artifacts we were trying to create. But then obviously through automating, we could do a lot quicker at the same time and we could produce an awful lot more data. And that's where I think Wayne talks all about this inflection point where we've reached now. So there were hurdles, there were new processes to automate, there were new things to optimize. But now that we started really tackling those problems we've got a new opportunity you know we we had a new shiny thing automation it was pitched as going to solve all the problems of course it didn't solve all the problems it introduced a whole load of problems of its own but now that we started getting around some of those bottlenecks now that we're starting to do it quite well we've got now a chance really to optimize that and so i mean wayne you can talk about this 
no, months I, and I, days. You know? I agree. And by the way, it actually ties back into, and I think there was alcohol involved, that initial conversation with Jonathan, which was we had this great conversation about it's all about a node. Do you remember that, Jonathan? I do indeed. And, and we described a node as obviously a reflection of the running system. And then by the way, in testing, we have the the luxury to kind of abstract above the pure complexity of the production-based system. But I think if you talk about this idea of nodes and connected nodes and the interconnectedness of what necessarily needs to happen in order for actual tests to execute, right? We have a really complex infrastructure that we still manage. Way back when, and I think Tom, you'll appreciate this, especially mm -hmm. in the grid tools days, I mean, the biggest disruptor at that point in times were APIs, right? And at that, in that particular point of time, mobile was obviously hot, but still it, it was not necessarily as functional as what we're, we're thinking today. But now we have an integrated set of pretty complex interactions that stream across multiple devices, endpoints, and, and components, and the complexity of it is actually blown up. Jonathan and I had a conversation about this just the other day, which was the interesting thing about the challenge from a tester's perspective is the complexity that they manage is significantly greater than the complexity in which a developer engages with on a daily basis, right? The granular uh, aspect of what they're working with within a code base associated with a particular application in a dev environment is much different than the breadth in which or the environment in which a tester needs to operate within, right? And it's a pretty amazing concept because when you look at the evolution of what is now required to be tested, validated, and completed, the onus associated with managed complexity sits much, much, much more on the tester's side than it does on the developer side. And I don't think that's ever changed. I, Jonathan, I'd love your opinion on it, but I, I don't think that's ever been a concept that's changed, but it's a concept that I think we're beginning to appreciate significantly more in 2020, 2021. Absolutely. And I think what you've just explained with the kind of everything is a node was kind of where the conversation, I remember, I recall the, the conversation we had. And some of you might not know this, but the tool which Tom started off with at Grid Tools was called Agile Requirements Designer. They started off with this idea that it was really important that we look at the requirements and understand that requirements change. Now, we know Agile's turning 20 on in February uh, the 12th this year, things have changed. Iterative software development, we're moving much faster. DevOps, all those great things which we've talked about, which gives you the agility to for your business. But I think let's take it back to exactly what the business wants, right? The business wants and needs, which you know used to be the user needs, but I think now are more abstract. The business may need a capability, and that capability starts off with a requirement of some description. And that might be a user story or, you know, a feature, or it could be some kind of initial concept uh, if we look at something like Lean UX or some Lean Startup. But that idea is then translated by a developer into code. Now, as soon as a single line of code is written, that's a node. That node is a testable object that we can look at at various different layers. That might be abstracted all the way up to a user interface, which testers have always been very familiar with, to a, a component, a single component of the system, like you just mentioned, APIs at the surface, the service layer. Now, if we take those building bricks 
And let's apply what we've been talking about for the last five years with model-based testing. And Tom's helping at the moment with the new ISO 29119 part eight for model-based testing. Think about it as a model. If you're putting a model together, what the business wants, so this kind of capability, it's going to have a number of components in it which need to be developed. They could be different teams. They could be different organizations, but you need to be able to, they need to be testable. And I think that is the big challenge. If we've got a node that we want to test, how do we test it? And how does do we get to this reflection point where we realize that what we developed originally needs to change and therefore there's got to be some kind of reaction which needs now to test it in a different, slightly different way. So Wayne, you are the godfather when it comes to this kind of technology with service virtualization, the, the amazing work you did with Parasoft. Part of it, if we think about just testing in isolation, a node that may not need to exist, it could be an, a service virtualization, it could be a stub or a shim. If you want to test that, which is what sometimes we call component testing or unit testing, yep. at that level, you've got to understand what the data is, what you're trying to test, what the Absolutely. flow is, what the model is. Talk us through what where your head's been coming through the last 15 years. Well, since you just put me in the godfather category, I guess I guess the maturity of my thought has coalesced into this new idea. So I'm going to play on that for just a little bit. I believe it comes down to a few extraordinarily core concepts, okay? The first thing is you need something to act upon. And distributing your business logic into test scripts doesn't make any sense to me. It makes sense to me when you need to automate something, but that's a disposable instance, okay? However, I need some sort of abstracted, let's call it a model, because I haven't think about, thought of a better term for it yet. I've been scratching my head. Tom's been scratching his head, but we haven't really come up with a better idea than the word model. But you do. You need something to collaborate around. And this centerpiece to collaborate around is actually unique because it isn't necessarily requirements-based, right? It isn't necessarily 100% user-based. It isn't necessarily 100% developer-prioritized. But it's kind of coalesces these concepts and morphs with the priority of the business, which, and Jonathan, you'll appreciate this, is kind of more of an ops dev concept than it is a dev ops concept. So concept number one, you need a reference diagram. Ooh, that's not a bad word, Tom. You need a reference diagram that sits in the middle that you can collaborate around, which is reflective of more of an operational model then it is solely the bottom-up requirement, right? So today, you would say that our testing efforts are overly compensated for uh, of being bottom-up, right? Requirements-driven bottom-up. Has to happen. I'm not denying that. You, you, gotta, you bail out on that. You can't. Yet, what you need to happen is there's got to be some level of collaboration around this core in which we come up with the ideas on how we're actually going to protect the business. So I think there's three concepts that once you have this idea of something central in the middle, which is worth protecting, and there's influences into that model, which is automatically updated, there's a couple core concepts. One is inform. And what I mean by inform is that every single time that I've gone into a project in which we're trying to evolve the concept or the evolution of software testing, it is remarkable to me what information the organization has available versus what 
the what kind of information the testers have access to. There's a gap there. So the whole idea at first is curating the data which is available within the organization so it becomes impactful for the tester. And this is the first idea of inform. And I think 2021 is the era of data optimization for the tester, meaning we are gonna learn how to curate information to make the tester more productive. Now, that's only the first step. The second step is this idea of act, okay? Meaning that once this information is now curated for us, we're gonna get a clearer picture of what are those holes that don't allow us to truly achieve automation. So, I mean, I'm sure everyone on this podcast has probably uh, listened or read one of the analyst reports out there. Pick and choose what you want to read. But software test automation, when you think of the concept of it, really uh, evolves around only one core theme, which is the automation of a script. Whether it's no code or code, who cares, or script, doesn't matter. But if the, uh, the idea of automation really just sits around that one key concept. And depending on what report you read, it ranges from 35, 18 to 35% automation within an organization. Now, if you look at actual automation rates of those tests run about 16%. So there's a gap between the actual automation of the test or creating the steering for the test and how it's actually automated. And the interesting thing there is that gap really reflects everything around the test itself whether it's access to environment, access to the test data, access to understanding how those validations uh, are going to occur and what are meaningful for the particular time horizon of the test itself. The idea of ACT takes this curated information that started from INFORM and creates the action in a work stream. So it's kind of, I like to call it, you have a hub of automation, which could be the test, but then you have the spokes of automation which are the nodes, Jonathan, that you and I talked about, which we now need to incrementally automate around the core. And this idea of acting on information is gonna allow us to round that out today, okay? And, and I think the final concept is connectivity and openness, right? And, and today, we're all coming off the era of the large platforms. And not to let the cat out of the bag here, but these large platforms were not built for openness. They were built for the, quite the opposite. They were there to add value, obviously, to the concept of testing, but quite honestly, uh, vendor lock-in is real, and we can't have that anymore, and we can't have it for a number of reasons. First of all, the first thing you got to realize is that the open source testing tools have become extraordinarily productive. I think the proprietary tools are even more productive than the open source tools, but the open source tools are good enough. What you need to do now is actually find a way to unlock the value for that. And this is where this concept of, you know, an open testing platform comes in. And an open testing platform should have those three core anchor points, which is inform, act, and then finally automate. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And and I think when we, we go back to that node concept of testing a node, and when back to that, I think it's Star West when we first met, part of it was, okay, there's two kind of really diff- difficult challenges here. And you've kind of addressed it with, we have to move faster, we got to automate more, but it's actually quite re- reactive. It's something changes, something breaks, we update everything. But there is no kind of openness within this kind of community. And it's when we look at the developers, they've got a lot of standards and they've brought things forwards to to make things more open so that people can interconnect better with different technologies, whether it be cloud technologies, whether it be service layer, uh, layer kind of technologies, there is a standard 
that people work against. And this has never really happened in the test world. Yes, we got the first W3C standard for Selenium, and that was great. That gave us this kind of ability to test browsers, should we say, for a second. But that left all the enterprise organizations still having to deal with either building their own or proprietary, whether that be a particular testing or something like Kafka, using the tools that come with Kafka to do that, or retrofitting a other tool to make it do what they need to do. And these are really difficult challenges, which all testers have got at different levels, depending on what is valuable to the organization. And again, what they're trying to do from a quality perspective. So I'm going to take a I'm going to challenge you, uh, Wayne, and and get your knowledge on exactly your experience kind of with the RPA landscape. You see this top-down approach and the bottom-up approach. You've got this, I'm going to create an organizational blueprint, which is going to kind of, like you said, is this kind of, how does everything fit together? And, And that's, people would love that in most organizations, it's not real. And then down to the bottom level of organizations may have the odd diagram, which people have talked about how everything connects. But the data is so sparse, and it's like you said, it's restricted, that actually having that entire organizational blueprint is a dream, is a pipe dream. So from a top-down perspective, the organizations are talking about things like improving efficiency, improving quality, increasing time to market, giving the customer a better experience. And those filter down to all these different programs of work. We've got to be more secure. We've got to be more performant. We've got to have a better quality product with less outages. All those things have been driven from the business and then passed over to IT as projects. Now, we heard Gartner say 2021 is going to be the end of the year of IT projects. It's going to be now moving from commissioning a a project to a product. And that product is evolving within your organization. If you're an organization that relies on that product and that product could be a mobile app, that product could be your e-commerce platform. It could be your back-end business intelligence. It's a product that makes you different. It has all your domain. It has all the business rules in there. It's the special source that makes up your organization. So I I love this concept, what you've got with Inform. And do you think it is a two-way thing? Do you think there's an information streams that should be coming down from Absolutely. the organization? Absolutely. There is no doubt about it. But, Jonathan, we got to also understand that this needs to be selective, right? So going after everything is impossible, right? But going after the priorities of what is important is required. So this is why, and I think the RPA top-down kind of concept or process up kind of concept versus the requirements or more discrete requirement concept which also aligns with this value stream management type approach to moving to from a, a, a project orientation to a product orientation. There's a lot of good things that come out of that. And I think the first thing that comes out of that is business priority, right? So, and I know we all think we know it. I know we, as testers, I think we all think we understand the priorities, but I can guarantee you that the organization is not necessarily keeping up with those business priorities. Now, let's say a business priority does change, Jonathan or or Tom, right? How are you going to reflect that if your logic is distributed among test tools, around different test tools across teams? There is no way today 
well, there is a way today, but there is not typically a way that people actually use this kind of central collaboration type feature to actually go protect the business. And I think as these ideas of product-based governance start to evolve, I think the ideas of like value stream management start to roll in. We're going to have to find a way to have that reflected in what we are going to be responsible for as testers. And I think this is the the other idea of using information because information is like from also you could think of it as like from infrastructure to people. So they're aware. And then it's also from infrastructure to model. So it's updated. Right. So first of all, the people need to be informed. And that's a huge gap from a software testing perspective. And in fact, Jonathan, this is this is what you and I talked about this recently as well was one of the biggest factors that we always face as testers is not necessarily, we're always kind of seen as, hey, testing's not done yet, right? It's back to that same adage, which is the most popular question to testers today, are you done yet, right? That's the most popular question. But the problem is that the complexity of how to achieve the complete task that is required to test is undescribable to the business, right? They don't want to hear the fact that, oh, I didn't get environment access. Oh, the person who was basically using the environment, I had to restructure the database in order for this. It never necessarily got cleaned. I never got to a clean environment. I never got it built to actually execute the scope of test, which is required. Our test data, we're still waiting for it to be procured or provisioned. But all these nuances associated to actually get a test to run is almost indescribable to the business. We need a way to actually understand it visually and present that visually back to the organization so they understand where we are, what we're doing, and what are these areas that is potentially creating the latency in the process, right? Um, now, I think the most important part is if we have those two streams of informing people of, of what's going on in terms of change, and then we have that stream of informing the model of what's going on with change, we're able to actually better represent our task back to the business, where, back to your point, Jonathan, bridges that gap between the bottom-up motion of change and the top-down expectations of the business. I love it. And, and, and it, it, it just makes so much sense. And, and I'm going to just take a step back for one second and kind of look at what we what industry we're in right the idea what they were kind of Gartner mentioned with this idea of funding an IT project and IT being the business right you think about any company in the world whether it makes trainers or is a, a famous fashion label and they're an IT organization but that's not what they are anymore the idea is that they're a business and so for a second, this idea of passing over a requirement from the business to an IT division, which is siloed in its own sense, is, is breaks us into two areas. Information, which we've never been very good at passing through the organization. I'm working as an infrastructure engineer. I'm working as a security engineer. I'm working as a data engineer. How do I pass that information across? Is it some kind of confluence? Is it some kind of page? Is it some kind of spec? What is it that I'm passing between those organizations to give them information? So that's the, the first bit. And then this is the technology, which we focused on way too much. It's all been about the latest technology and how we can utilize that to change the needle on our business. And this is where we've taken it. I know I've been chatting with Paul Gerard around removing this idea, exactly what you said there, Wayne, which is bring business and technology together, business technology. And the idea is 
that they join up in the same way that product engineering, Google would talk about product engineering, bringing engineering and product together. Actually, yeah. let's bring the business, which is the top down, with the technology, which is the bottom up, and let's have inc no more silos. Let's not have separate division. Yeah. Let's have the business involved and let's drive it. And I think yeah. what's interesting, and this is the, to me, there's the Pepsi challenge, which is why everything that you've been talking about, I absolutely love. And we're going to talk a little bit about what the products do and, and why people should go off and try them. But I'm going to bring back in Tom for a second is, you know, if I set any tester and I said to them, what's the value of that test? Right. They would give me an answer. And if I said, well, what's the value of that automation? They give me an answer. And then if I said to them, OK, well, what kind of test coverage have you got? They give me an answer. Right. And then if I said to them, OK, where are we? Are we there yet? How long have we got to go? They would really struggle at being able to say how confident they are and how far they've got to go. And, and taking Wayne's idea, and this is something that you've done before with the model based testing mm -hmm. approaches, is if you can prioritize certain critical parts of the business, like payroll or being able to generate a report, and then you're able to focus and provide more coverage using different types of te uh, coverage techniques, then you can literally say to the business, I can show you the value and I can show you in a way that you would understand. Do you think that is really is the bridging the gap between the business to be able to understand and share a model which they can under both see the value of and then prioritize where the focus is based on the potential change and where that could be more risky? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think I mean I think the key word there is value, right? So definition of done, it's been a very hard question, I think, for for, for test teams for a long time. And, and the bigger period of functional test coverage rooted in system logic is you can say, if we maximize this as much as possible, if we're testing as much of the system as possible, we can increase our likelihood of finding bugs before they hit production, right? We're not going to have a big scare. We're not going to cause ourselves embarrassment by letting the defects through that we should have caught. But I think the question to then ask yourself is, okay, you can test this much of the system, but to Wayne's point, if the business priority changes, you might find, I can't remember who I was talking to about this, you might find 10, 10 bugs in, a, in part of the code base that actually users aren't, aren't likely to touch next month. Right. And, and this notion of, yes, test functional test coverage is always going to matter, but knowing where you can target your testing, where you should be maximizing your coverage, doing that continuously change in the dial is, I think, asking yourself, where is our testing going to deliver the most value to the business? Not where, not how many defects can we find? So what? Tom, not to interrupt you, but sure. this is not thinking that is currently subscribed to as well. I think we got to get to that point where people understand that the business priority question shifts this whole real hyper-focus towards something that is, is much, much different. It's more like what the APM system is doing, is it's monitoring for effectiveness, not necessarily trying to guarantee effectiveness, right? But I think you, you hit on a great point there, not to interrupt you, but uh, I thought it was worth compounding Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, Jonathan used to have that idea of shift left, shift right, shift everywhere, quantum teleportation, you call it, right? Which is which kind of a similar similar idea in different terms, right? Which is we have potential now to pull in information from more sources than ever before. So it's also time you mentioned Paul Gerald there, because Paul Gerald speaks very well on this idea of implicit and explicit models. So five years ago with models, and this also goes back to Wayne's idea of having an abstraction layer, it was all about, okay, we're all building models in our head as testers. If we get those models 
into a formalized format is going to save us a lot of time, right? We can automate a lot of the manual processes, we can share knowledge, but it was always focusing on the system logic itself. But now that we've started building those single sources of truth, the system logic, if we can start putting in these broader systems and informing our models using data from across the whole, not just development pipeline, but from across the whole business, we can start targeting testing where we think it's going to align most with business value. And I think that's a key next step, right? Because test, test everything isn't ever going to be possible. Things change too quickly. We've mentioned APIs. You can also mention containerization. Stuff's getting ripped and replaced in the system all the time. It's too complex to test everything. Yeah. But if we can start leveraging the data and harnessing this informed question from as many sources as possible, this shift everywhere idea in a single source of truth and model, we can really start looking to align our test creation, which should be automated already. If it's not, our automated test creation with business value and where it's going to test what matters most before that next release, you know? Yeah. Let me ask this question to Wayne now. So this is, I think... Tom has defined the problem statement of the decade, right? Is that if I'm a business and I maybe I outsource my testing or I have a test team that's there or I use crowd testing, whatever they're doing to do some testing and to introduce some quality into the organization. If I ask to say, where are we? And the team says, well, we've got 4,000 tests or the another team says we've got four tests or they've got 80 big defects or they've got 10,000 defects they've found. What am I measuring? I have, I have no idea, right? So I can literally g give metrics which don't really mean anything. And this is this idea of really challenging, well, what is a test and what's the value of that? And I think Tom's point with this business value is hit it right on the head. We'd look at what's important to the organization and we test that first, right? And then if that is informed from lots of different systems and and Wayne you picked out an APM and I'm, so I'm going to run with that a great example is if I'm running a mobile app and it let's say it's it's we're trying to sell PS5s right so we launched the PS5 everyone's wanting to download it but unfortunately we're having a bit of problems that could be because there's too many users it could be a performance issue it could be a security issue it could be something that's important to the business at that potential time and there's customers that are on their, their their phones. They're saying, oh, it's freezing. It's We're getting all this data coming from the APMs What's with the instrumentation on the actual phones from Firebase saying, yeah, we're getting all these stack overflows. We're having all these kind of issues that we're having with on the devices in different countries. It could be a language specific problem where people are getting stopped. But we're not using that information to inform our testing. And I think that is the big kicker is that it's coming from two ways. Exactly what Tam said is we're shifting left and we're shifting right. But by shifting right to pull the information from what's happening in the real world and shifting left to be able to create a model sooner that represents what's important to the business and gives us an understanding of what uh, the functionality is, which is explainable to the business, yep. both those directions are incredibly important and this new ability which we're seeing with operations and ai ops and all this great capability means that we've got more data about what's happening all the way down the stack from the user interface what's happening on the mobile device how much cpu it's yep. been using all the way to the service layer and what's going on at the service layer all the way down to the individual database layer you've got all these different layers and we've segmented our testers to be performance testers security testers, 
the database team dealing with APIs and their specific team to do that. I think that the time has come to say, how can we generate a model quickly from uh, what the business is doing today and show how the change in that process, that business process model will actually affect what needs to be developed, whether we have to stub that out for the time being using service virtualization, but also be able to test potentially issues that are coming from production and Absolutely. prioritize what's important. So well, what do you reckon, Wayne? So, so this is a great example, by the way. You, and you have to do all this in a highly distributed environment, by the way. Given COVID, I've had to uh, sh shift rooms three times because my kids are essentially on, on, on Zoom calls with education. And they're speaking to me as I'm trying to talk right now. So we got to do this in a highly <laughs> collaborative fashion. But here's a great example. In fact, I was on the, uh, the phone with the guys from AppDynamics yesterday. And they were like, gosh, we have this great data. And they gave almost the same example you had, Jonathan. They detected that this particular mobile device was having some issues in Brazil. They weren't necessarily finding it in any other area, but guess what? The team that had the, the that had the specific application in which would have been the next version that would go onto the phone, obviously in Brazil, had no idea about this this issue. Why couldn't this be injected as data into the test framework early so you're not necessarily having to go refactor what's brand new, right? The data's there. The information's there. It, and it, by the way, in order for us to actually act upon it, takes a very little amount of knowledge, right? They just need to be informed. So by the way, just think if you were a tester and by the way, you're sitting there and you're on this mobile app project or uh, you are responsible for this particular node of the model and boom, in your channel, Slack, IpChat, whatever you use, you basically get a notification that there is some aberration associated with how a particular Android app is operating in Brazil under these conditions. Wow, that's interesting. Now we could take that one step farther to act, right, within your interface that actually is holding the model, which accommodates environments in which it can run. Could we reproduce those particular conditions to run it against the mobile app today? Well, you know what? The environment's flexibility that is out there today, yes, you can. That is a, just a parameter and a config that's very, pretty much pretty easy to set up. It's just that knowledge gap in order to do it. So I think th this is the era of connectivity for testers, right? And testers need, and I, I've been, I'm in love with this word, curated data. There's a ton of data out there, but what is required is a interface needs to be built to curate the data for the tester to make it actionable. And once we understand what those points are, guess what? We're going to get smarter. And we're going to increment on what we know, and we're going to bring more data points in, and we're going to correlate those. And then we're going to have machine learning algorithms versus it, and then it's going to evolve into more of an automated process. But it's going to make us better. It's not going to challenge jobs, by the way. It's going to provide more information to let us do things smarter rather than, in your case that you just mentioned, Jonathan, having a 5,000 regression test suite which is throwing false positives that you don't that you can't even trace, which is causing ten times more work for ferreting out what's good or what's bad. And by the way, what happens at the end of that journey? We've all been there. 
let's wipe out the test suite and start again, right? So we, I, I think this idea of getting smarter about what we need to do when we need to do it is technically feasible today. And it is what's going to be this idea of allowing testers to evolve into the true quality engineers. And I know people, some people hate that term. I might be one of them, by the way, but the, the true quality engineers that they were, that they're basically were designed to be. One more point, and this is a little contentious as well, is if you look at the activities that I see testers take today, especially core testers, the funny part is most of what they're doing is actually exposing poor design. So I think this idea of testing splits into two eras. Areas One, testers actually then move into this idea of becoming design experts, helping the team actually create better applications off the bat, right? And you know what? Your skills are fantastic, but those are better meant for design and design optimization. And then there's going to be this ops dev focus of testing, which means that I'm going to go protect the business in an automated fashion, which allows me to actually act upon vectors, which I'm ingesting from the IT ops environment, right? And I am not reactive anymore. I'm proactively taking those data points and making them actionable within my quality efforts. Some big statements there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely love that. And let me just tell you how the curiosity guys can help you today, right? Let's take that example, what, what Wayne's just said. Say, for instance, the ticket comes into service now, and because it's not your ALM product or your CI product, you don't have visibility of that. You don't have that visibility in your, maybe in your Alassian, your Jura tools. You can't see that ticket, maybe that you should go off and investigate it. What the Curious, Curiosity guys have done is they're able to pretty much, this open test platform, can connect into these systems. So using VIP, which is their visual integration product, it allows you to take feeds from different tools and feed them in into something like Slack and give you that notification. So it's giving you that translation of what is, in essence, more information, which makes you better uh, at what you do, a curated process. So number two, now, if I'm a tester and I want to be better at testing, Yes, we could go and speak to Dick Bender and learn about model-based testing, or we could just go to testmodeler.io and create a model ourselves. Just model anything you want. You're doing a project and you're trying to do a, a, a new interface, or if you're trying to do some API testing, right, and you want to understand, well, what are the negative paths that I should do and what are the positive ones? And, oh, I want to create a whole stack of rest assured or Postman scripts out of that back of it. Great. Go and use testmodeler.io model out the flow. If you've got a swagger spec or something cool like that, or you've got some other type of starting point, but you can model it out and you can generate it into whatever type of language you want. So you don't have to worry about the proprietary vendor locking. Whatever you're using today, you can model it and you can output it. It's Selenium, it's Appium, it's, it's Perfecto. It doesn't matter. They'll integrate with it. So I guess the big question, which I'm going to throw over to you, Wayne, is what is the big bet's for 2021 for our listeners. Everyone's been asking most a lot about 2021, Jonathan, and what is the mantra? I believe, quite honestly, that an organization must focus on one thing, evolve that, and then move on. And I think if I was going to focus on one thing in 2021, 
I would leverage the richness of data available today to make sure that the informed stream is active within an organization, which means, and I've said this word so many times, but I love it, which means that a system that assists me to curate data for testers is imperative for success. Uh, and that's step one. Once you're going to, once that information stream starts to become second nature, what you're going to realize is there's patterns to act and they're going to be distinct patterns, which you're going to go, Hey, by the way, if I understand that there's a outage in the mobile, this on this Android OS for mobile phones in Brazil, I should probably be testing for that today and integrate that into my current plan. Right. So then you're going to see these patterns of act start coming up. And again, a system like Curiosity provides you the ability to not only curate the data for inform, but also give you the opportunity to act upon that central concept of a model. So I, I think in 2021, what we need to do as quality experts is to make sure that we are having these, we are opening up these streams of information to be able to understand the impacts of change much, much clearer if I had to focus on one thing. The second thing I would focus on if we felt like we were getting some leverage there would be turning those priority pieces of information into action, not necessarily a report, which you have to go then do something else, but actually having the action show up in a central system of record, which gives you the either the notification or the enablement to put the practice into action. And then once we see those patterns start to evolve, I guess this is where we really start to improve. Oh, that sounds awesome. And, and what I'm going to finish with is, Tom, how's best to get started with something like Curiosity? Is there videos you can watch? How do you sign up? Yeah, absolutely. So I think you hit the nail on the head when you said head over to testmodeler.io. As you discussed, we do also have the test data automation piece. So you can also head to testdataautomation.io. But let's start with test modeler there. You can sign up for a free trial. You'll get access to the tool for two weeks. Over the course of those two weeks, uh, you'll get emails with useful resources. We have libraries of demo videos. We've got online tutorials, structured video series with written documentation. We also do have the written documentation, of course. You can also get in touch with us anytime. We're more than happy to jump on a web meeting. If you're more interested in the test data automation piece than the modeling piece and the model-based test automation piece, you know, test data, data is an area where within the team, you've got people who've been doing it for 30, 35 years. If you go to testdataautomation.io, hit the book a demo or book a consultation button, get us on a web meeting because test data is as diverse as anything. So it's always good to start talking off the bat. And that's the best starting point there. But that's test model trial, test data automation, get us on a web meeting. We're more than happy to talk about it. Yeah, and there's, not, there's nothing stopping everybody who's listening now to go and try it free, right? Have a little play because once you learn and you, you get some kind of action out of the back of it, that's value, right? So go and try it, learn a new skill, change and rethink the way that you're testing in 2021. And with that, I just want to say a massive thank you to having two guests. First time ever on the show, two guests. So all the way from LA, massive thanks, Wayne. And it, we're going to have to get you back on the show to follow up with some of your insight for 2021. Yep. And Tom in Cambridge, massive thanks again. I, I love it. Reach out to these guys. They're, they're easy to get on LinkedIn. Reach out to them if you need any help. And thanks to the Godfather and my good friend Tom for an awesome podcast. And so have a great one, guys. 
No, thanks, thank you Jonathan. very much. Always a pleasure chatting, Jonathan.